Hello and welcome to the 2019 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Amanato, and this is Round 21, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton's control over Yas Marina was so complete that there's little to be said about his victory, but behind him, in the minor points-paying places, a tangle of strategies had major implications for those fighting for championship scraps. Daniel Kvyat's well-executed one-stop strategy took Toro Rosso painfully close to upsetting Renault for fifth in the constructors' standings, while Carlos Sainz took the fight for sixth in the drivers' championship down to the final lap of the race thanks to some clever late-race tactics from the cockpit. So to talk us through the final Final race of the 2019 Formula One season. I'm joined by Rodney Gordon from Super License F1 Podcast. Rodney, how are you doing? G'day, I'm really doing really well. We're doing really well. Even though I was up half the night, worked worked all day, come here, got to deal with cooked Ferrari fans and their <laughs> conspiracy theories. <laughs> it's great. Hey, and even people who don't like Ferrari and yeah, their yeah. conspiracy theories. Wait, did works, I not? I meant to say lines. that's take what I said and reverse it. Oh, uh, yeah. well, look, both. There are both of those things, yeah, and there are the Kubica fans who have a lot of conspiracy theories. Yeah, look, there is yeah. a lot of conspiracy in Formula One. It's a conspiratorial it's, sport. Mm. It's big. You got to have it. <laughs> <laughs> Conspiracy theories. This was nothing without it. Yeah, certainly not when you're in that middle section of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix uh, where yes. there's not a lot going on. Hey, but despite the headline of this race being uh, that it was kind of dull, there was a lot going on in the midfield, and it did feel kind of ironic that the sport spent a lot of time building up this battle for sixth in the championship. Carlos Sainz came to this race really feeling like he had a lot on the plate, mm. a lot on his plate, a lot on the table, whichever you want to say it. And then the sport didn't seem to, to care that much about it when we actually got into it. We missed some of the passes at the very end of the race, uh, the decided positions that were actually the most strategically interesting parts of this race. Uh, but of course, it does mean we've got to talk about Lewis Hamilton. The fact that he won, mm. uh, the fact that he was quite good at this race, that Mercedes was very quick. Yeah, I don't know what to make of the result here because normally we talk about this being a bit of a springboard for next season when the rules are stable. But this was the most dominant Mercedes been almost all year. I mean, what did you make of it? It's uh, it's one of their favourable tracks, though. They always do mm. well here. Um, I think it was a good one for Lewis to win because he tends to win the championship and then just you know go on holiday for a few weeks mentally and. Mm. Uh, doesn't always rebound so well the next year. So a good one for him, even though he doesn't believe in momentum. I do. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, conspiracies. Uh, I think winning the last race of the year for Lewis is really, really good, and it's a bad omen for everyone else. Mm. Um, I mean, you complain about not seeing the action, but we did see the, the race-winning move when Mercedes loaded their cars off the trucks on Wednesday <laughs> and arriving and taking part in the race. That was the race-winning move, them showing up. Got him. Got him good. <laughs> what a strategy of showing up and winning. <laughs> it's really the the Mercedes of old. The old, Well, not old, only of the last yeah. five years. The, the, the one that we, we're all sick of. <laughs> yes. No, yes. I, I, yeah. Uh, I think the, uh, the other ongoing spectre of potential disqualification for one of the Ferrari cars was the only other excitement from the top, mm. top six, uh, really. I mean, I guess you get Bottas charging, but then I think... If my mass is right, he was up to P10 by lap 10. So he did, you know, he was just picking his way through the rest of the uh, midfield and towards the front runners after that. Um, And then the whole DRS debacle just, I think strategically that probably played the biggest the biggest uh, impact. And for fans of F1 circa 2010, they were in second (laughs) heaven. Just like the old days, back in the (laughs) old days. Why isn't Sebastian Vettel winning? Very confusing. It was in some senses a prototypical race for this year and last, let's say, where Mercedes seems to have found itself with with a massive advantage, in fact, has ended up being in this Grand Prix. Red Bull Racing was kind of 
close, not quite within striking distance, but was thereabouts. And then Ferrari was kind of fumbling over itself somehow <laughs> to be the third fastest car. They found a way. Yes, they did. Ferrari finds a way, but not in the way you would expect. Uh, there's this interesting dichotomy between Ferrari and Mercedes in this latter part of the season. We've yep. talked about it for the last couple of episodes, this specter of Ferrari maybe cheating, maybe not. Maybe. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe. We said maybe. We did say maybe. We should say allegedly, I guess, <laughs> if you wanted to say it like this. Still not really a conclusive answer from this Grand Prix. You would have expected no. them to be faster in that second sector in particular because there's two straights there. They total about 2.2 kilometres. There are only five real corners and they were fastest there, but by such a small amount and certainly not enough to counteract the fact that Mercedes was so much quicker in the third sector, which is all sort of slow, a little bit off camber, it's a little bit tricky. They were six tenths up in that sector. Mm. In fact, I think there was even a bit of team radio uh, during the early parts of qualifying where they told Charles Leclerc that that's six tenths deficit. And he said, that's ridiculous. Something <laughs> to that effect. There's no way we could get that. May as well pack up the cars May down as well, yeah. there's, uh, there's absolutely something going on. And I, I don't know if it's illegal or illegal, but there's something going on. And, and whether they've changed strategy and said, oh, look, everyone else is uh, nice, nice high aero and, and low, <laughs> low power and we're very high power and it's not working. Uh, we need to try something else. And they've, they've, they've tried to, I think, um, split the difference between the strategy they started the year with, which clearly mm-hmm. hasn't really worked out for them too well. Uh, middle of the year, they did very well. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the, the question mark for me is this whole uh, thing that they were found to be um, not un, what would you say? Un in accordance with? Not they yet. weren't in accordance <laughs> with the reported amount of fuel they put in the car, but they were over. Now, mm. at this rate, obviously you can have up to 110 kilos of fuel in the car. Mm-hmm. They were presumably had less than that because they didn't get disqualified off the bat. But the question mark for me is: that's okay at this race, but have they have they found some way, some loophole, some way of disguising how much fuel's in the car at other races where it mm. is an advantage? Clearly, not an advantage here to do that. Mm. But maybe there's other racetracks where it is an advantage to have more fuel. Thirsty tracks, uh, <laughs> tracks like uh, Australia. And you think, how did they do in Australia? Well, it's mm. a bit of a wash. Bahrain, thirsty track. How did they do there? Oh, wait a second. They did pretty good there. Canada, that's a thirsty track. No, wait a second. (laughs) They were leading there as well. So I'm not, I mean, tinfoil hats aside. for Mm. I'll I'll finish it and then I'll put my tinfoil hat aside. (laughs) Uh, If there's something going on, then there could be something going on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's such a beautiful time for conspiracies because there's no way to prove or disprove them now because there are no races left. How good are conspiracies? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it is a good time to be a Formula One fan unless you're a fan of Ferrari, I suppose, because then who knows what's hey, going Michael, on. Hey, Michael, when are we going to start? <laughs> <laughs> We're just setting the scene. We're setting the okay. scene as to why Mercedes was completely unchallenged in this Grand Prix. Mm. Red Bull Racing was only thereabouts, but it just really did show. I mean, as you said, historically, Mercedes is very strong here. The third sector played very much to their strength. Although in some respects, surprising that Red Bull couldn't find a similar amount of performance there. Perhaps they were also trying to strike that compromise between being good in the in the fast part of the circuit and, and being good in that particularly twisty yeah, part. Verstappen was also, throughout the whole race, saying, hey, I'm putting my foot down and mm. the car is not responding. And then Elbon uh, was reporting, hey, I'm not Verstappen. So, <laughs> I mean, it's understandable uh, that the, the talent deficit there. Yeah. <laughs> Overall, there was a deficit for for all of the teams except Mercedes. Valtteri Bottas did have a good race despite starting from the back, so you could even see in his case the performance was there. And as you said, the first 18 laps he was making up positions even without DRS. It did slow him down a little bit, but not nearly enough considering the pace difference of that car. Uh, Normally, there's a part where we do talk about the race-winning move. You've already said it. It's when they (laughs) arrived for this race. There was actually, and this was one of... 
It's almost surprising to say, but one of only six times Lewis Hamilton has, has scored what is called a Grand Slam yes, in motorsport. Yes. Kind of like the Triple Crown, it's fairly nebulous, but this is to, to score pole, lead every lap of the race, score the fastest lap of the race, and win the race. Only the sixth time in his career, which just goes to emphasize how dominant this race was, because he's been dominant a lot of races in his career, but he's never a, quite yeah, this much. He's a real innovator. He loves to <laughs> take pole and win, but he got bored of that, so he decided this year I'm going to not take mm. pole and still win. Yes. And uh, I think he has the record for most wins without starting from pole position this year out of all drivers forever. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's, he just loves to innovate, come up with new records to break for himself. It's his, I mean, he's so dominant. He needs mm-hmm. to just uh, keep himself occupied. Yeah, and it was so much so that by the time it got to his first and only pit stop on lap 26, in a race that for most other drivers was a two-stop race, his was comfortably mm-hmm. a one-stop, uh, he had a 12-second advantage over Verstappen before Verstappen pitted the previous lap, I should yeah, say. Yeah, Verstappen so, was trying to stretch out his tint to do something and Hamilton mm-hmm. was like, that's no problem for me whatsoever. It's not like, going <laughs> to happen. It was, it was almost amusing to see the very start of his stint, the very start of the race. He was pulling away so quickly and then there was a, obviously a realisation that he didn't have to do that. <laughs> really moderated the pace from there, controlled the race from there. There was no risk of undercut because that gap, as I said, was so large. Came yep. in, had a very comfortable pit stop was sort of, you know, it was still quite quick for Mercedes, but wasn't absolutely on it because there was no need to take any risk there and, no. and really massaged it out from there. Set the fastest lap of the race two laps from the end. So it also showed, yeah, which as we've before, seen, yeah. yeah, I think even in, in maybe in Mexico where he started uh, to lap quite quickly towards the end despite his tyres supposedly being worn, showed he had plenty of pace in the bag. This was an absolutely dominant race for Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. And that's all we need to say about Mercedes <laughs> and Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Verstappen was never really engaged in a battle with Charles Leclerc, but Leclerc for third. This was, of course, at the point where we weren't even sure if he was going to be allowed to finish the race, if he was mm. going to be disqualified or not. In the end, it was only a €50,000 fine. Only €50,000. Yeah. Uh, for that overfilling breach, as you said. Did become engaged in a battle with Valtteri Bottas at the end. Perhaps a little bit unexpectedly, because even Mercedes' own simulation suggested Bottas would only be able to finish fifth. Instead, he finished fourth, almost finished third. Probably would have finished third had Ferrari actually, for all of the mistakes they might have made this weekend, had some relatively quick thinking towards the end of the race by switching Leclerc onto a two-stop race with the soft tyre. And it saved him by only less than a second by the time we got to the flag. So we've kind of got to give some praise to Ferrari for Yeah, this. and Bottas was was hurting in the early part of the, the, the lap, well, part of the race, when there was no DRS, having to pull crazy overtakes in places where he wouldn't mm. normally overtake, where he would normally just follow the car and go, well, I'll get, him, I'll get DRS on the straight and just nail him. But instead, having to almost like get sideways and cut chicanes to try and get overtakes done, which was... Impressive, I thought, mm. um, because just put in that situation of you have to overtake cars or your race is cooked. Uh, he, he did it, and that was good, but it ultimately hurt him. And yeah, finishing one second off the podium will hurt because uh, you know he, he drove his heart out and just uh, didn't get the result that he maybe deserved under normal circumstances. But <laughs> it was a it was a good move, for, I thought, from Mercedes uh, during qualifying because they. They, they knew that Bottas was going to take a whole swathe of penalties and going to start last no matter what. And then the, the question was, well, why would you run him in Q2 if he's, you know, why, why burn up those tyres? He's going to have to start on, on those. I know he's not going to have to start on those, but the whole point was, why even bother? Why not just do whatever you want? But 
uh, Toto Wolf said, um, well, it's, it's all about, it's good for his head. <laughs> it's just good for his head to follow the routine and don't mess with that. Mm. It's like a, it's like a dog. It's good for a routine every good morning. For his head. It's just yeah. good for the head. And so he did subsequently have a very good race, despite starting on those used medium tires. Went all the way to lap twenty nine before he stopped. It was immediately obvious when he put on those hard tires, he was going to be a threat for that podium position. Yeah. Ferrari waited. It was nine laps. In those nine laps, Bottas's uh, deficit to, to Leclerc shrank from forty nine seconds <laughs> by fifteen seconds. It was pretty obvious at that mm. point to Ferrari that something was going to happen to give so they brought in Leclerc also brought in Vettel twice Ferrari double stopped Leclerc and Vettel the first time didn't work out so well for Vettel really cost him some positions there in fact cost him a position to Bottas ultimately by the end of the race (laughs) Uh, but for Leclerc it was perfectly judged there uh, uh, that stop because it gave him just enough time to build what ended up being a nine second buffer which Bottas absolutely destroyed in the final few (laughs) laps of the race uh, but it really did come down perfectly to him managing that race as well. It shows that Leclerc's come quite a long way in that sense as well. He's always had quite a good feel for the tyres. We saw yeah. even at Sauber last year. But there was a lot of pressure here to, to, to finish his last race on the podium, cap off a, a strong Ferrari season for him, yeah. uh, and really absorb that pressure, which I guess belies the fact that he's only two years into Formula 1. I mean, claim the trophy for most polls in a year, and mm. um, clearly just a star on the rise, clearly uh, dominated Vettel over the whole, you know, breadth of the whole year. Um, the pit stops, it's... I, I can't think of another time in F1 history, at least not the time I've been watching, which is a while, because I'm old, um, <laughs> where there's been two double-stack stops from the same team, and the one of them is when the two drivers are on two different tyre strategies. Yeah. That's crazy, but it shows that they were definitely clocking what Leclerc's race was, was on to and then just stopping Vettel because... Whatever, it may as well stop you. Um, and I saw there was an eagle eye uh, F1 fan who snapped a frame of one of the Ferrari engineers pulling off a tire without gloves on. Did you see that? No, I didn't. The tires that can reach up to 100 degrees yeah, Celsius right. just whipped it off without his. Oh, man. Well, they're committed. Yeah. I mean, they don't muck around. Yeah, they're a um, committed bunch. Yes. So uh, they, they, they definitely, I don't know, they're just desperate to find a way to screw up a, a pit stop. And <laughs> Maybe he was just, yeah, playing a bit of free jazz and thing. I know, no <laughs> gloves, this will do it. But no, still happened. Uh, it wasn't even him. It was, it was on the, it was on the right hand side of the car. But Vettel's left hand wheels just didn't want to cooperate this race. Yeah, it didn't work out for him. That meant ultimately he fell behind Bottas when Bottas was still recovering. Bottas perhaps still would have passed him given that strong end that, that he had. In Did you notice Mercedes. what car he was driving? It was it was a Mercedes. Yeah, so he was, was going to get him. Probably going to work out for him in the end. Vettel after that second stop fell behind Elbon as well, but managed to pass him because Elbon opted to stay on the one-stop strategy, which meant it was kind of an easy pass mm. for him. Finished in their customary sixth place for Alex Albon. The bare minimum required for him. Can't fault him on yeah, that one. It's a funny one, and, and we've got that quirky stat of uh, Verstappen winning races, both Toro Rosso drivers scoring podiums, but the second Red Bull driver yeah. has not scored a podium all year, and poor old Albon. I think he started pretty well after he switched to Red Bull, mm. but maybe a question mark in the last few races. But look, I, I think he's just got his mind in 2020 right now, and he's like, mm. yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to just follow Verstappen around, eat what he eats and do what he does where he's wear the same clothes, go to the same nightclubs. Can you imagine Verstappen in a nightclub though? Or not really. I don't know if I could. All I know is that means Alex Albon's going to be doing a lot more sim racing. Over yeah, summer, and he's going to threaten to punch more journalists yeah. and stuff. And just, yeah, he's going to gonna bring the aggro. Show a bit of fight. Show yeah, a bit of fight. That's, that's what he has to do. That's it. That was how the top six finished. It's unusual for us to finish with the top six so quickly, but the battle of real intrigue happened below the top yes. six in this race. It ended up being a real fascinating... A strategic 
fight. And much like in Bottas's case, the lack of DRS at the very early part of the race, albeit for him to much less significant effect, did play a role. It definitely played a role, could have played even a bigger role for these drivers. We had what seemed for a while to be a private fight between the McLaren and Renault cars. They've really taken a bit of a step for most races ahead of the midfield, still mm. tragically far behind uh, <laughs> the rest of the front runners, or, or the front runners, I should say. But it ended up looking like they were going to be in a bit of a private battle. They all qualified in Q3, which meant they had set their starting tyres. It was the soft tyre. And this is always a race that contains a powerful undercut element. And so they all tried to undercut each other a little bit to no effect because they were all neutralised. Except for Nico Hulkenberg. So we had Norris come in first, then Ricardo, and then Sainz. Hulkenberg stayed out, fortunately enough, until lap 18. So he was going to come out and then have DRS, have a bit of an advantage as well because he'd have fresher tyres. Should have arrived in front of Lando Norris because Norris uh, and those other drivers we mentioned were stuck in traffic. But for some reason, he got caught up in a battle with Valtteri Bottas. And he reckons he lost two seconds in this fight. And how far behind Norris was he when he emerged from the pit stop? About two seconds. It's not usual for midfielders to fight front runners, And we can kind of see why here because he was never in a fight with Bottas and he lost out in his main battle. Whatever they're paying you, Michael, it's not enough. <laughs> no, spot on. Um, uh, definitely all the action was from this pack. Um, it, just the scene was set for, for Hulkenberg in probably his final race in F1 mm. to have a nice, heroic, um, juicy couple of points finish. <laughs> not going to be a podium, let's just get real. It wasn't going to be that, that fairy tale. Um, and the strategy was going to either make or break it. Uh, definitely pitted at exactly the right time, but just found himself in this pack of drivers and you'd have to say... All things being equal, uh, you know, more or less similar top speeds and, and um, a, a pack that, that sorts out the good drivers from the average ones uh, that he probably uh, was going to end up shuffling towards the back of it at some stage. I wasn't expecting it to be, you know, the last lap of the race where he fell mm-hmm. from in the points to not, but and thanks to his teammate for just punting him down another spot just before the checkered flag as well. Good one, Dan. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, you called it right. I've got nothing else to add to the Hulkenberg point. <laughs> well, it shows as well because he did arrive only behind Norris, so in front of the other drivers, in front of Ricardo yes. and, and Sainz. He couldn't hold that position. Yes, we'll get to the strategy later on when involving the second stop and him not taking one. But it did also illustrate how, A, I guess difficult it is to follow, but how big an effect that has on how far you can make those tyres last. Because yeah. as much as Norris was struggling towards the end. Hulkenberg was struggling much more. I mean, you could see him towards the end in the past we didn't actually see on the television. You had to go and look at a replay for it (laughs) of signs. You could tell that those tyres are really cooked. And this is, uh, I mean, we talk about it so often in Formula 1, but that is a a major effect that it's hard to keep the tyres alive and follow closely at the same time. I guess the flip side of that is signs who pitted uh, for fresh rubber later and... Not struggled, not made it hard for himself, but left himself a lot of work to do. Luckily, he's mm-hmm. you know one of the quality midfield drivers, you'd have to say, really coming to his own this year uh, and, and given the opportunity to go and chase down some some yummy, yummy points. He did it, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I just said that to That's see what if he would laugh. He just says that in his own mind. It's what he called it. It's the technically just, yeah, correct. When he engages Norris mode. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, so Signs was the opposite and, and uh, went for the opposite uh, strategy. And I, I mean, if I remember correctly, and I may not be, there was some chatter between him and the team. And he said, look, if you're not sure, just pit me and uh, I'll work it out. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously backing himself, it sort of worked. It was fun. It was exciting. It was 2 a.m. when it happened for me. So yeah, I'm very grateful. Interesting as well. We don't get to talk about this very often, but it does strangely happen from time to time. It, it's almost difficult to believe, but... Science's second stop, which ultimately rescued him 10th place, was because he was watching television as he was driving around the yeah. circuit, he said. He saw that Sergio Perez and Daniel Kvyat, who we'll talk about in a second, were having faster strategies. He saw from no, the television no, that their strategies were out. better than his and then mm. radioed in and they had this debate, as you said, with the pit wall about whether or not to stop. I get, I mean, is this one of those signs? You, know, you hear about those drivers where... Is this one of those signs? Oh, uh-huh. Very good. Very good. There's a meme in that. I think Lando Norris, as you said, perpetuates <laughs> them. Of those drivers, when you hear about the idea that they have that extra capacity, no. I mean, I feel like I can't watch TV and drive. But well, Carlos Sainz seems to be able to. You should to. try it one time. It's fun. <laughs> uh, may or may not have been watching highlights on my phone when I drove here. <laughs> Please don't tell Victoria Police. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, there was the other radio call from this race where Verstappen said back to these engineers, hey, Ferrari are going to pit, what are we going to do? And they were like, mm. how did you know that? He was like, ah, I heard. Yeah, heard incredible, it. isn't it? That he could hear what over team radio who was pitting. Yeah. It's like what? those people who can tell from just from the audio what car you have by the sound of the door closing. <laughs> An incredible skill. Oh, I know someone that could do that, but I've got no hope of doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was question. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, it's an incredible yeah. illustration of science awareness. Yeah, uh, and I think that it, it definitely is a, a, a benefit for him. Um, I know that Norris has outqualified him on Saturdays, and obviously uh, his performance on Sunday has been, you know, the the the, the, the trademark of his his year. But uh, I mean, all the all the good drivers have it, and uh, I think it's ironic that he has shown that. Uh, skill, which is a skill that you get with uh, age and development of, of being around the sport, understanding your race and the race of all the others around them, mm-hmm. all of the variables for your race and their race, and then still making the best decision. Um, ironic that he finishes ahead of Pierre Gasly and ahead of uh, Daniel Cavett. All of the guys who were in contention really for that and sort of next big thing at Red Bull, right? Uh, yeah, and he point. emerges as... The best. The triumphant <laughs> one, probably on the back of Red Bull switching their drivers halfway mm. through, helped him out a little bit. But the symbology is there if you want to go and chase it. Mm. Especially considering, you know, I wonder how many times this season Red Bull has regretted essentially punting him out of the program. You know, when they could have had the chance to replace uh, Ricardo with him, when yeah. Ricardo left, rather. So not replace Ricardo, but fill that spot and decided that they were a bit too bitter about the way it had all sorted out with him. You do wonder whether that that team would have benefited much more from an experienced set of hands in that second car alongside Verstappen rather than trying out these rookies, who, commendable though they have been in the second half of the season in particular, you can't help but feel Science probably would have done a better job in that car. I wonder if this is just a Verstappen effect where... He shows up at Toro Rosso and says, hey, uh, me and the science guy, we don't get on. And then he goes to Red Bull and all of a sudden Daniel leaves. And then, you know, mm. they're switching their other drivers all the other time. It's true. Um, it- I, I, I'm sure they're trying to work out how to keep Max happy because he is their future. Yes, and that is a fair point as well. The, the other driver in the in that second car is always going to be second to Verstappen, mm-hmm. whether emotionally or also just on the track. 
It's usually both. So <laughs> that's what we can say. Uh, so the way that the, the Renault and McLaren battle filtered out, Hulkenberg ultimately fell to the back because he didn't make a second stop. And it was more or less in the same order that they'd sort of started the race on with mm, Norris in the lead, yeah. then Sainz and Ricardo. But then we had these two drivers that Sainz saw on the television doing a very good job. It was Sergio Perez and Daniel Kvyat starting 10th and 13th, but with free tyre choice. Yes, yes. They were really quick. In fact, Kvyat, despite being behind Perez, arguably was the better one, he lost three places at the start and still ended up being only two seconds behind Perez uh, when they made their first stops. Uh, some really good, I guess, thinking outside the box in terms of this strategy, rising to the top. Uh, the DRS problem didn't affect them, obviously, <laughs> but did require still a, a lot of overtaking to make this strategy work, given it was all pretty much a one-stop race until everyone sort of switched towards the end when they realised that they were wrong. Um, some impressive drives from two drivers who have been kind of anonymous this season. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously Racing Point don't have the pace and, and they're not on the form the way Force India used to be in the years of past. And uh, Sergio Perez is kind of known as that guy who just pulls those mega stints, extends them out to, you know, much mm. further than anyone else can. And that's his party trick. Uh, the, the party has been pretty subdued for him this year. <laughs> good that he can go out on a bit of a high. And uh, yeah, he pulled a good race. But I, I mean, I think without the DRS issue, might have been somewhere lower in the points, if in, in points at all. Um, so yeah, yeah, a good one for him to to, to finish off uh, the year. Good, good for that team to get a couple more points. Um, I, I think I get confused between the championship standings and the race standings because it's all so he finished 10th so that he could finish 6th and Perez finished 6th so that he could finish 10th. Yeah, it's like, beautiful, oh man, confusing my situation. brain is doing backflips. And I think uh, the Haas cars, one of them's car number 20, uh, Grosjean's car number 8 and Magnussen's car number 20. And I think for the year, Mag- uh, Grosjean scored 8 points and for the year, Magnussen scored 20 points. So oh, it's beautiful. For those of you out there who like those kind of number yeah. games, it must be so satisfying. You must feel like yeah. the combination lock has just finished. It's is going to make Grosjean race with number 500 next year <laughs> just to see if it works out. Give it a test. What a genius move. Yeah. It goes up to 99, right? Can't wait for it. Well, I'm sure they can find a way to do it. Just put yeah. in like in brackets the third number. And they have to force Hamilton to race with number yeah. one. I think they'd even love 99 points, to be totally honest yeah. with you. This did raise an interesting point, though. The fact that Perez and Kvyat were able to rise so quickly up to the top, to take nothing away from them, because, as you said, Perez in particular is really great at executing these kind of strategies. And, and Kvyat, when he's sort of in that zone with the car, is also quite good at managing the tyres. Yeah, you can't forget that he is a quick driver. Did all right at Red Bull I Racing. Think He's okay. People yes. people crap on him, but I think he's decent. Yeah, he is. He's a good driver, deserves to be in Formula 1. But this has illustrated that, particularly as the front runners have been moving further away, the rule that mandates what tyre you start the race on based on Q2 does really, at certain tracks anyway, not always, yeah. but this was one of them, hamstring those who have to start on, on the soft tyre. Uh, it's inevitably the soft tyre. And at this race, that was a very a delicate tyre. And kind of, you know, as much as, again, they had to earn those results does make it a bit of a foregone conclusion when you have such a stronger strategy towards the end of the race. The sooner it goes away, the better. And I think it's not necessarily the kind of change that could uh, propel someone from the midfield right up amongst the the Mm -hmm. front runners. But it's one of those rule changes that just simplifies things in a really satisfying and easy way, just like kind of like renaming the tyres to just soft, medium and a hard. It it, it ironically gives a viewer fewer data points to chew over mm-hmm. but improves the experience because you're not focusing on something that really kind of doesn't matter it's like just don't even worry about that mm-hmm. uh let's just simplify it and then when you start focusing on the things that do matter you start to realize wait a second there was a lot going on in this race and i mean yes. this race is a great example of one that was 
pretty good. So mm. much action that we couldn't even get it all on TV. Uh, but people are coming away scratching their head going, nah, it's a stinker. Mm, the tie performance graphic, for one, yeah. I think, is a data oh, point that yeah. we could potentially drop. <laughs> oh, please. But on the point of this, uh, the starting tyre, I think, I mean, we want to reflect on those championship positions. As you said, Sainz was able to finish 10th because he made a, a late second stop when he saw Perez and Kvyat, as we said, as we said charging yes, forward. Yes, Ricardo yes. echoed that move but couldn't finish in the points, finished 11th. Tried to pass Sainz but uh, couldn't, couldn't make that happen. So Sainz scored the point that elevated him above Pierre Gasly uh, because Gasly... Gasly didn't score points. Kvyat scored some points, but not as many as perhaps he could have. Uh, it meant that Renault held on to fifth in the constructors' standings by six points. So quite a close finish yeah. at the end because Renault couldn't finish in the points. But it could have actually been much worse for Renault and it could have been worse as well for Science because behind them also with free tie choice were Lance Stroll and Pierre Gasly, who probably could have been roughly as quick as their teammates at least. Certainly for Gasly and I... I, I Cast no aspersions on Lance Stroll, but he hasn't really been on Sergio Perez's level this season. Oh, that's not what you were saying before we started. <laughs> you, were, you couldn't shut up for how, how much you went on the same level. Yeah, absolutely. But you can't help but feel that that probably could have been those bottom four points paying places solely the domain of Toro Rosso and Racing Point. Mm. That could have really had an effect on not the championship, but the championship standings more broadly. Of course, there's no championship... Uh, trophies handed out for, for sixth and lower, not even second and lower, Should dare I say. But it does show that this could have been really quite a dramatic race for Renault. There, there was a lot at stake for them in this Grand Prix. The fact they didn't score but still hold, held fifth. I mean, they were really quite lucky that Stroll and Gasly essentially took each other out at the first turn and eliminated them from contention. That's what I was going to say. I was nearly going to remind you. You remember they <laughs> hit each other at the start, right? And Gasly had to get a new nose and everything. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, as for the permutations in terms of uh, the complication of affecting, nearly knocked over my water, the championship. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's good to see the championship still being decided in the last race. It's a shame it's not way up the pointy end of the, of mm-hmm. the field. But, uh, I mean, if you, if you want to chase those stories, they're there for you to chase. Uh, maybe F1 could do a better job of surfacing mm-hmm. them before the, before the race starts and, and even during the race, heaven forbid. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they're doing their best out there. Those, guys, those commentator guys, they've got a lot, they've got a lot of jokes, <laughs> in-jokes to make amongst themselves. And it's hard to fit in things like the championship. <laughs> I mean, maybe you're just asking a bit too much of them. A lot of plugs for Amazon Web Services that need to be made. And that's just part of the game, isn't it? It's just part of the game. And I was going to say puns about signs, but we did that. We did by accident. At least for my part, it was completely accidental. (laughs) Maybe next year I'll make it more of a feature of the podcast. Who's to say? Uh, but it actually resulted, as we sort of said, quite an exciting ending. Passes on the last lap, which is what you'd think Formula 1 is really screaming out for. Yeah, uh, passes in general, but especially mm. passes on the last lap. I mean, there was, mm-hmm. like I said, there were so many we couldn't even see it. Sure, it's great to get a shot of Hamilton charging down that last straight and winning, mm-hmm. but it's even better to see three overtakes in the last two laps for yeah. points paying positions. For Sergio Perez saying the best pass he's ever executed in his life off Lando Norris uh, yeah. on Norris's aging ties for seventh place. Norris mm. said he could have defended more hard. I think that that's an interesting point, Norris mm. being so hard on himself. And it's like, mate, the end of the season, the yes. season's done. Don't be hard on yourself now. Mm, but uh, identifying clearly, I think, one of the weaknesses that he that he has. I mean, he's had an incredible rookie year. Mm-hmm. Finished his rookie year with the same number of points that Verstappen did in his rookie year. So, oh, I mean, he's on stash. form. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Reddit. Whoops, yeah. um, <laughs> I shouldn't have said I shouldn't give, my, give away my secrets. But, um, yeah, no, uh, Norris is on. He's on the charge. He's, he's, I've got so much time for this guy. 
Yeah, a huge result for McLaren, huge result for Sainz to finish sixth uh, in the driver's standings ahead of both second Red Bull drivers, if we can say it in <laughs> such a sentence. And a really interesting conclusion to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Just because there wasn't a lot happening at the front didn't mean there wasn't a lot happening in the midfield. Uh, hopefully one day we won't have to talk about it just being the midfield and, and that'll all close up. I wouldn't hold my breath for next season, but maybe beyond 2021. <laughs> hey, and I look forward to dissecting those future races with you, Rodney. I look forward to it. Thank you, Michael. That was Rodney Gordon from Superlicense F1 Podcast. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. If you want more Strategy Report, you can get every episode by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favourite podcast app, plus all of your socials. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and a review to help other F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast, and if you're looking for an alternative take on the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, have a search for Box of Neutrals in your podcast app of choice to hear whether Rob James considered this weekend's race a productive use of his annual leave. Well, another year done. 21 races in the can and Lewis Hamilton a six-time world champion. He made it look easy, but there was a lot to like about the 2019 season. The internal ructions at Ferrari, Honda coming good with Red Bull Racing and some fascinating battles in the midfield, which all sets us up very nicely for what should be a cracking 2020. Thanks very much to Nathan Harper and Beer Mogul who make this podcast possible and to the 22 guests for lending their time and expertise to discuss the goings-on of the season. And thanks, of course, to you for listening. Whether you've got in touch throughout the year, filled in the listener survey or just listened along, it's been a pleasure to have your company. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the show as much as we've enjoyed making it. My name's Michael Amanato. Have a terrific off-season and a happy and safe new year. And let's reconvene in 2020 to do it all again on The Strategy Report. Thank you.